Okay. I really like Bible study. I like just diving in and learning about the Bible. But it can be somewhat confusing. Um, there's no pictures except if you think about the maps that are way in the back. And I, I, um, <clears throat> I never really learned to read fast and comprehend a lot, so often I have to read something over and over and over again for it to really sink in. And um, the Bible can be that way. Now, this is what I'd like to do before my introduction. I'd kind of like to do some coaching on the sermon. What's he going to do today? Can you make it pretty clear for me? All right, I'm going to try. One thing we say about the Bible is that it has one author. That's God. God given it to us through the power of the Holy Spirit as the inspired word of God. Granted, it has 40 plus authors, 66 different books, over perhaps in the neighborhood of 4,500 years. Now with that many different people, you could understand, oh, uh, you know, this guy's going to say it that way, that guy's going to say it that way, and you know, they're not always going to agree with each other about the way they say things. But you know something? That's one of the great phenomena about the inspired Word of God. That proper definition of inspiration says that with God as its author, he has inspired these authors, and therefore there is no contradiction from one part of it to another. I know a lot of people in the world want to talk about those. I meet people on the street. Well, what about all the contradictions in the Bible? And I enjoy going over those one by one, and Lord willing, I can shoot them down. But with that understanding about the Bible, that is that God's a single author, why something that it says way over here will agree with what it says over here. In other words, we can read through the Bible and see that it is one work. Now, what uh, I'm given the challenge today, we're going through Matt Rogers' Aspire, and today's topic is covenant. Covenant. And one of the, the cohesive things, that is one of the themes that we can demonstrate that the Bible has one author is this topic of covenant. So what we're going to do today is kind of ping pong back and forth in the Bible demonstrating that simple fact. That simple fact is that God has spoken about his covenant, some things about his covenant way back here in my Bible in the Old Testament and we can come over to the New Testament and see how that's fulfilled. We could say it another way, that there is a promise made here and a promise fulfilled here. And I hope that it'll do both things. That is, both things demonstrate, teach us what is a covenant and how God honors that, while at the same time seeing the, the solidarity of, of the Word of God. That's what I'm going to do. I like it. 
fasten your seatbelt. Take out your Bible, your device, hopefully a pencil, and see these kinds of things coming together in this particular topic of covenant. Covenant has an interesting aspect to it. It automatically, by definition, is relational, and that's tough for us today. One of my favorite authors, contemporary authors right now, uh, writing for the New York Times, I know that's unusual for you, but I really enjoy reading the op-ed articles by Ross Douthit. Ross Douthit of the New York Times. And um, this is one of the, th he, he likes looking at culture, he likes putting his hand on the pulse and seeing what's going on in our world. And here's an interesting statement about the opposite of relational. What's the opposite of relational? Individual. Watch. In the future, it seems there will be only one ism. In the, you know, we've got a lot of isms. But in the future, there'll only be one ism. He says, individualism. And its rule will never end. I think Dothan, he's a Catholic, but I think that he's parroting uh, the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where we have this, but it may fail, where we have this, it may fail. Listen to this. I think he's parroting it because he says this. As for religion, it shall decline. As for marriage, it shall be postponed. As for ideologies, they shall be rejected. As for patriotism, it shall be abandoned. As for strangers, they shall be distrusted. Only pot, selfies, and Facebook will abide. And the greatest of these is Facebook. Doesn't it sound like 1 Corinthians? Can you read it? Skepticism of parties, groups, parties, not, not party favors, but parties, Republican, Democrat. Skepticism of parties, programs, and people runs deeper than their allegiance to a particular ideology. For this, and he's speaking of many young people, this young group, <clears throat> some progressive ideals are solid in their minds, but when pressed, they blur into some kind of non-committal kind of I'm leaving my options open kind of thinking. The common denominator in all of this is individualism, not left-wing politics. It explains both the personal optimism and the social mistrust the passion about causes like gay marriage and the declining interest in the collective action crusades like environmentalism, even the fact that religious affiliation has declined, but personal belief is still widespread. Now, if all that sounded like a bunch of gobbledygook, I really want to call attention to that last phrase that he writes about. And he says, as far as religious affliction... Religious affliction, okay, try affiliation. <laughs> Although there could be some afflicted religious people. No, here we go, try it again. Religious affiliation has declined, but personal belief is still widespread. Now that's what I want you to just think about just for a second. 
while people are, are scattering from mainline denominations. People really do not want to be even Baptist. Sorry, folks. I'll tell you right now. People don't want to be associated with groups and denominationalisms. They don't want to be labeled. They do not like it. But they're still willing to say that personally, they have personal belief and faith systems that they want to hold personally. And they don't want to be a part of your group. This is widespread around us. It is indeed the rise of individualism. If doubt that is correct, it's that which will bring down everything else. There will only be one ism left in the future. That ism will be individualism. Well, I bring that to you as an introduction because the Bible speaks absolutely counterwise to that. And covenant is a word that speaks against that. And yet we do see that theme, that era, that philosophy, even that ideology rampant among, among churchgoers. You know, there are many people who say that in fact, church membership has not declined. We've seen report after report after report that membership in churches has declined. But upon closer look, many have said, you know, that's not exactly true. People still claim to be a member of a church, albeit many of them at a distance, but some of them at a casual distance. What does casual distance mean? It means they'll drop into their own church every four weeks. In fact, it has doubled in the last 15 years. You could go up to someone and say, oh, are you a member of the first church of Podunkalo? You're a member of Happy Valley Church? Oh, yeah, I'm a member of Happy... You know, tell me, how often do you attend uh, Happy Valley Church? Why, we go, oh, we might miss occasionally, but we, we're there at least three out of four weeks of the month on a regular basis. It's interesting. Add that up. You realize that if you go three weeks out of a month that you missed three months of the year? Wow. Do the math. But today... It's actually, I consider myself a pretty okay member if I attend one out of four weeks. Oh, yeah, I'm there pretty regularly. Another interesting statistic, <clears throat> the churches will take attendance and then go up to a church member and say, uh, say, tell me, over the past six months, how many times have you missed church? And, oh, well, six months, let's see. Four, about 24, 25 Sundays. Uh, you know, I probably missed six or seven times. Do you know what the stats show almost every single time? More than double what somebody says they missed. I missed six or seven times. You've missed 17 times out of the last 24. Or you've missed 14. Always. Every Oh, and I missed three or four times. They've missed eight or 12. It's just the casual nature in which we teach. The Bible says something differently about the people of God. 
in this issue of covenant. If you have your Bible, would you turn to Jeremiah chapter 31? Jeremiah chapter 31. And as you're doing that, let me just get a definition in front of us if I can do that. What is a covenant? What is a covenant? A covenant is a solemn commitment or pact in which certain stipulations and obligations are agreed upon by the parties. Biblical covenants may be conditional or unconditional and include a blessing, a curse, or a sign of guarantee. I wish I could do the whole theology in, in 40 minutes of a covenant. I can't really do that. But looking at this definition of a biblical covenant, biblical covenants can be conditional or unconditional. Well, uh, they can be conditional. In other words, most of, the biblical, most of the biblical covenants are between God and his people. And so if it is a conditional covenant, God says, this is what I'll do. These are the promises that I'll make. This is the guarantee that I will give you. In turn, this is what you are to do. And, and this is the way that you're to behave. And so it's conditioned on it. I'll do this if you do this. On the other hand, the Bible does talk about unconditional um, covenants in which God unilaterally says, this is what's going to happen. This is what I'm going to do. And it's unilateral covenant. It's unconditional. Uh, those are unconditional and include a blessing. Often, they'll say how he's going to bless his people. He'll also say some things about what will happen if you don't do these things. And then finally, you see in this definition, a sign of guarantee. Not always, there's not always. What's the most famous sign of a covenant that you would know? Right, good. The Noahic or the covenant with Noah. And God said that I'll never destroy the earth by a flood ever again. I'm going to give you a sign of that. It's going to be a rainbow. Well, in, in the... Uh, keeping with the covenants of God, what I want to do is take a look at how God establishes that among his people here in Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah chapter 31, which is, of course, in our Old Testament. Folks, what we're doing is some very basic Bible. If you're a theologian, you, you're very experienced in all things Hebrew and Greek, we are probably going to move a little too slowly for you. But here in this series on Aspire, we're doing our best to slow down and just take a look at some of the more basic things of the Bible. So now Jeremiah is in the Old Testament, and Jeremiah is going to talk about God's covenant, but Jeremiah is going to make a promise about another covenant. Let's take a look in verses 31 and following. In Jeremiah 31, 31, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. Now let's just pause there for just a second. What happened when they came out of the land of Egypt? What happened? Well, Moses led them across that famous Red Sea story and they came and encamped at the foot of Mount Sinai. And God called Moses to go up onto the mountain and God gave him the law. God gave him the Ten Commandments. This is a conditional or unconditional covenant with Moses. 
Conditional. Here's the law. Here, I'm bringing you up here. Here are the things that I will do. Here are the ways that I will bless you. But here also is the law that you are to keep. Now, I bring that up because Jeremiah is saying, wait a minute. I'm going to give you a new covenant, and it's not going to be like that covenant. So we see that here. So we're reading now, and I may, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers, on the day that when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, okay, did they keep their conditions of the covenant? No, they did not. They broke them. Though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and will remember their sin no more. What indeed is the very heart, the very basic difference between the old covenant and the new. I want us to take a look at three outcomes of being in covenant relationship with God. Three outcomes of being in a covenant relationship with God. And Jeremiah brings us the first, the thing that is different for us today. You might call it a New Testament Christian today. And what is that? Well, it's right here in the end of this Announcement that a new covenant is coming. For I, first of all, will forgive their iniquity. Wow. To be in a covenant relationship with God is to be forgiven. It is, is at the very heart of what it means to be a Christian. In, in the Old Testament, the law was based on what I do and how well I perform it and keeping this one and keeping that one. And and what they discovered was is that no one can keep it all. Oh, wretched man that I am, Paul declares in Romans chapter 7. Who, how, what hope do I have? And the new covenant is not like the old covenant because first of all he says, I will forgive your iniquity. Isn't that interesting? All the way through this, this smacks of oh conditional or unconditional somebody say it again that's why I did that I know that sounded academic definition conditional or unconditional but when it comes to this new covenant you want to read through it again Oh, behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel. Not like the covenant that I made before. I took them by the hand, though I was their God, for this is the covenant that I will make. Conditional or unconditional? Listen, folks, we could stop right here, forget the rest of the sermon, because it's about a couple hours long here. If you could get this, If you could get this, you would fall down. You would fall down. This is an unconditional covenant. 
that God has said, I will make with you. I will make with you. I teach a Bible study outside of the church, group of senior adult businessmen, all very successful in their ways of life, very, very paved their way, paid their dues, uh, all very, very wealthy men and, and could possibly have the tendency of feeling like, you know, I did it my way, kind of Frank Sinatra kind of thing. So I'm really privileged to be able to have the opportunity to do a Bible study with them. And, and to break that down this past week uh, in, in thinking about God forgiving iniquity is kind of difficult because, you know, if you, if you think you're okay... You know, he who loves little is forgiven a little. You know, so, so uh, I, how am I going to get through to these guys? And an illustration came to my mind. It's a movie. I'm not recommending it. I'm not, not recommending it. But it's a movie Matt Damon played with Robin Williams called Good Will Hunting. You might have seen that. Good Will Hunting. And, um, and the end of the movie, uh, Robin Williams is playing a psychologist and Matt Damon has gone through some challenges, that sort of thing, and he's been visiting him over the weeks and months and that sort of thing. And now it's the end of the movie and they're about to part ways not to see each other probably ever again. And, and so Robin Williams has got one more, one more statement to be able to make to the Matt Damon character. And he says, his name is Will. He says, he says Will... I know you've gone through this emotional turmoil, family, all the kinds of things in your life. I want you to know something. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. And Matt Damon character says, oh, I know it's not my fault. <laughs> you know, it's not my fault. He looked at him again. He says, Will, pay attention to me. It's not your fault. Will, look at me. It's not your fault. His lip begins to quiver a little bit like that. It's not your... And he just begins to cry. Now, please do not misunderstand me at this point. I'm not saying that your sin is not your fault. That's another sermon for another day. But my illustration is to say to this, this is what God says to you. And if you're here and you're not a believer today, listen to the Holy Spirit. I will forgive your iniquity. I will forgive your iniquity. Each one of us needs to go home and look in the mirror and say from the word of God, he says, I will forgive your iniquity. And if that doesn't take your breath away, if that just doesn't cause you to say, wow, what a God. Because it's unconditional for you. And the only reason that it's unforgivable unconditional for you is that someone else took on the condition. 
But look secondly at this. I, I, just, I, I took too long on that, but I just sometimes I need that myself. I need to remember. But it also says here, and will remember their sin no more. That is that they are lawless people. But I am going to take the law of God and I am going to write it on their heart in such a way that when a person is my people, they know me. Now, that's not very good English, but I need to say it again. When, when a people were not my people are my people, they belong to him. That is, we are born again through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, cleansing us from all our iniquity. I don't need somebody to tell me, you know, let me show you how to know the Lord. All my people know me. It's part of the new covenant. It's part of the new covenant. So he will forgive our iniquity and he will cleanse us from all our sin. And he'll remember it no more. I like this because it comes from Leviticus and so I want to say secondly the outcome, the second outcome that is just woven together with that in the book of Leviticus here and we did it during our prayer time together but the second outcome that I would have you see is that we are his people and that we are called by his name. The second outcome is not only are our sins forgiven and our lawless deeds not remembered, but we are called by his name. So Leviticus 26, 12, and I will walk among you and will be your God and you will be my people. I really wish that there was some way that I could take an experience of what it means to not be a part and to be a part. Silly illustrations come to mind like a young lad or a young woman who always wanted to be in the professional sports team. Maybe it's a young woman and she wants to be in the WNBA or a young man who wants to play NFL. And the first time they walk into that locker room and there up on the shelf above the pads is a, is a helmet and on the back of the helmet is his name. On the back of the jersey is his name. I belong to that group. For me, it's more familial. It's more about family life. It's more about, about another one of these businessmen that I do the, do the uh, Bible study for. We were talking about this issue of belonging of somebody like that. And uh, he lived a really hard life. His dad was very, very hard on him. And we had that in common. Another thing I like about him is he's about the same height as I am. He's really do. And one day last year, he walked up to me, and he grabbed me by the shoulders like this. And he looked at me, and he says, I want to tell you something. This weird, very successful man looking at me. He says, I love you. I love you. It's kind of awkward, it's kind of deal. But he did it because he knew what it was like not to be loved, not to be accepted, not to be um, 
I remember when I came to know the Lord and had these first feelings and God began to teach me through this passage and it's repeated over and over again in the Bible that I will be your God and you will be my, I will walk among you and will be your God and you shall be my people. I can take you right now. Well, it used to be an empty lot. Now there's a gas station there just outside of Charleston, South Carolina. But it was an empty lot. It was an empty field. And I walked out into that field trying to figure out where I was going to go in life and what I was going to do. And God said, I will be your father. I will be your father. I, I wish I could take that. Some of you have had that same kind of feeling. For those of you that haven't, I feel sorry for you. But to be accepted by God, to be one of his, I just that just holds me back. Ezekiel, remember what I said we were going to do? We're looking in different places in the Bible to show you that the Bible sticks together. Ezekiel has his own copy of Jeremiah. In, in, in Ezekiel chapter 33, we also get um, um, a recounting, 36, a recounting, though, of, uh, of the new covenant that's coming, and I will put my spirit in you, it says in chapter 36. But I digress back to chapter 34, just so you can see once again in verse 31... Let me get to the right page. And there we go. The verse 31, that this is what it says in Ezekiel. And you are my sheep, human sheep of my pasture, and I am your God, declares the Lord God. Why, I think that if I can go over here to John, which is in the New Testament, I can go to John chapter 10, I believe, I can go, and this is what I'm, I want you to see this. I want, if you're new to the Bible, I want you to be watching. I'm turning in my Bible, and I'm turning to a, a passage of Scripture that's now in the New Testament. I'm looking through this, and I come to John 10, 14, and I read, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, I know the Father, and I laid my life down for the sheep why we are his sheep it's consistent throughout the entire bible this covenant relationship that we have with god this covenant relationship outcome number three not only are we forgiven and iniquity is taken away also that we are called by his name we're his but we are a covenant community which is revealed in love. We're a covenant community which is revealed by love. What's an outcome of being a covenant member, a covenant in covenant relationship with God? An outcome of that is that you're a member of a covenant community. This is a covenant community. You see why I started off possibly with the illustration with Ross Douthat and, and talking about what's coming, what's coming in our society. There's not going to be any ism left except for individualism. Because I'm looking at a group of people right now, dearly loved, most of you. Some of you I'm a little iffy on. No. Just trying to keep you here. 
I would venture to say that every bit of 50% of the people in this room are not members of this church. I'm glad that you're visiting among us today. Thrilled. Some of you are visiting in our area just for a week and you, you don't skip church. Praise the Lord for that. Thank you for that. Welcome. Maybe somebody else is a member of another church, but God's directing you to search something else out for one reason or another. I don't know. But you may be sitting here, and I want to kind of take the screen away. You may be sitting here thinking, I'm, I'm one or two or three or half a dozen people in the midst of a group of people who go to church here. It is no exaggeration that there are more than, probably more than 50% of the people in this room right now are not members of this church. Now, I'm hoping you're a member of a church but one of the great benefits of being in covenant relationship with God is being in covenant relationship with what God loves. And what God loves is his bride. That's a metaphor for the church. God loves his church. God is going to return for his church. The word church is used 114 times in the New Testament. The overwhelming number of times that church is used in the New Testament, it means the local body of Christ. Now, when I show to you that, 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 that that's revealed in a couple of ways. I'm using a couple of phrases that I'm a little uncomfortable with, so I want to make them pretty clear. So we are in covenant community, uh, which is revealed in love, and how do we get into that love relationship? Well, it's by grace through faith alone. But now I'm talking about the church. Now I'm talking about the local body of Christ. How does somebody become a member of a local body of Christ? And if you didn't know, you're in a Baptist church. And so I would begin with how do you get in? You get in by baptism. You get in by baptism. Well, Pastor, I know that there's some differences between you, you Baptists and the other people. Uh, you, you agree a lot about, uh, take Presbyterians, for instance. Now, you guys, you believe you get into the church baptism. Uh, you only baptize believers. They baptize infants. Uh, this is a covenant relationship, we believe. And so, therefore, how you get in is very, very important to us. I'm just going to take a brief moment. I have many wonderful, you may be Presbyterian. I have many wonderful Presbyterian brothers and sisters. I really do. I love them. They know that I do. We disagree on this point. And they're wrong and I'm right. And, and furthermore, uh, you know, they would declare the same thing. But now I want to do the same thing with you just a little bit. Could we do this? I, I want you to go away from here having a more robust interest in reading your Bible. I, I said we're doing two things. We want to talk about what it means to be in covenant relationship with God, but we also want to see in the Bible. Now, I'm going to go to Deuteronomy. Where's Deuteronomy? Oh, Deuteronomy's in the law, the first five books. So if I go over here to Deuteronomy, well, what, what chapter do I want there? Uh, Deuteronomy 30, all right. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. I'm going to see something in Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. You see, because what my, my brothers are going to say is that, is that, well, as circumcision was the sign of the covenant in the Old Testament. What, what covenant? Well, that's the covenant with Abraham. 
God made a covenant with Abraham. I can't really do, as I already said, too much. Maybe we'll do a little bit more in covenant next week. But God made a covenant with Abraham. He said, I want you to circumcise the male on the eighth day. And everyone that is circumcised is a part of the covenant community. Everyone who's not is not. They're excluded from the community. Okay, so that was everyone. So when our Presbyterian brothers and sisters get over to the New Testament, and they say, well, baptism replaces circumcision. Therefore, we should baptize infants. Well, take a look at your Bible for just a second. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6. Verse 6, where is it? And the Lord your God will circumcise your, what does it say? Your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. This is what God is going to do. He's going to circumcise your heart. Your heart's made of stone. He's going to give you a heart of flesh. Now what I'm going to do is turn over back again. This is what I said it was going to do. I'm going to go to the book of Colossians in the New Testament. I'm going to go to the book of Colossians. Let's see. I go through the Corinthians, then Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and then Colossians. And I see here that in Colossians uh, chapter 2... The, the, it's talking about circumcision once again here. And I pick it up in verse 11, in whom, chapter 2, verse 11 of Colossians, in him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made, say it with me, made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, hello, See, he's putting the two together. See, my Presbyterian friends say, listen, circumcision has been replaced by baptism. You know what I want to say? You're right. You're right. But look at the circumcision from the Old Testament, from the Old Covenant that God is matching. He said, I will circumcise your heart. And in Colossians, he's saying this is circumcision that's being made without hands. How is it made without hands? It's made by the Spirit of God changing the heart. That's how your heart is circumcised. They're right, it's replacing. It's replacing with a new birth. By circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. You see, there is a transition from the old covenant to the new covenant, but not as my brothers would say, but now God is calling us still to be circumcised by the heart. That's how we, are, that's how we get in. And so we signify that by being baptized by immersion in water. You've never been baptized. God challenges you. Be a part of the covenant community. Be in relationship with those whom God is in relationship through baptism. Number two, how do I stay in? Again, please do not misunderstand me. I'm not talking about salvation in which I'm telling you you've got to do works to get in and you've got to do works to stay in. 
I'm talking about what God says as far as the covenant relationship and what people do there. And by the way, this is going to tie things together. I'm going to go to 1 Corinthians. I'm, I'm going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and say that how we stay in is the Lord's Supper. And I want to show you something as I'm finishing up here. He's talking about the Lord's Supper here and uh, beginning it, pick, take it up in, in verse 17. But in the following instruction, I do not commend you because when you come together, it is not for better, but for worse. Now, the people were coming together to celebrate the Lord's Supper, and he's not commending them. Verse 18, for in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. That's an interesting twist. He's saying there must be factions, there must be problems between you because that's how the true comes out. Who is really genuine. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry and another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church? Look, and I want you to know something. Church means church. Church means this. It's not some theory or some universal kind. He's speaking to the local church, the covenant community, the people who can be identified by membership in a local fellowship. Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I receive from the Lord what I also delivered to you. And we could go over to Luke. And you know what he would say in Luke? He would say that when he took this cup and he raised it up, he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. This is Jeremiah. This is Ezekiel. This is Deuteronomy chapter 30. This is what I've been speaking about. This is the new covenant. And if you read the, the, the rendition from Hebrews 8 and 9, you're going to say, if the old covenant was good enough, there wouldn't have been need for a new covenant. But the old covenant wasn't good enough, and so therefore we need the new covenant in his blood. Why? To be forgiven of all our iniquities, that he would remember our sin no more, that we could be his. He would call us his God, and we would be his people, and we would be in covenant relationship with one another because we've been baptized in to his death and raised to walk a new life and we come and we celebrate together our oneness in a covenant relationship. This is the covenant. This is the new covenant in my blood. I want to encourage you today. Again, not trying to be haughty here. So glad you're visiting with us. Really am. You're from up north. God bless you and your church. Amen. But if you are not a member of a covenant community relationship called what the Bible calls the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you by the Spirit of God, the authority of the Word of God, that you 
that you join God and God's people in covenant relationship and being a member of a church. Love to talk with you about what it means to be baptized. If you're a little confused about the Lord's Supper, love to talk with you about that. Love to show you what the Bible says about that. But the Word of God fits together from beginning to end in a covenant, in a pact, in a relationship. And the new covenant relationship is unconditional. That doesn't mean it's free. Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay a debt that I could not pay, that he paid for me in forgiving my sins. But in this part of the gospel, I want you to hear this. He's coming again. And when he comes again, he's coming for his bride. He's coming for, I believe, his identifiable bride. Are you a member of it? Pray with me, would you? Lord, I ask you to take your word and plant the seeds and lead us in a direction humbly. Oh, God, I pray that you would not hear or that your people would not hear the wisdom or regiment of man and institutionalism and these negative expressions of what, yes, indeed, the church has become in many places, but that they would hear you calling, child, come into the full fellowship of my family and to join and to be a vital part of the body of Christ, fit together, having received each one a measure of faith to be displayed and for the common good of the body. Oh God, in the time and the life of a church called First Point, we need all hands on deck. We need your people to hear the call, to hearken to your voice that now is the time to be the church of the living God in this place. So I ask you to do it in Jesus' name.